This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. So tonight we are learning, obviously, we're learning Le'ilu Nishmat Shmahayahu Yosef Chaim Ben Yaakov Yisrael, uh, which is obviously Rav Chaim Kanievsky. Uh, we're also learning Le'ilu Nishmat Avram Ben Chaim Yehuda and Yechaskel Ben Avraham. We are also learning tonight the Fuash Lematu Shlomo Bat Elizabeth, Ruth Bat Malka, Dan Ben Pel, and for strength for Kwa for Magalit Bat Regina. Okay, so before we begin today, I, I actually have to um, say a, um, a tremendous thank you to uh, my brother in law, Rabbi Ephraim Krohn from Yerushalayim, which I. Um, I spoke to him, uh, what was it, yesterday or two days ago, for quite some time, uh, gathering some information and, and gaining some stories and l- like gaining a lot of things. So he gave me a lot of time. So I want to thank Rabbi Ephraim uh, Krohn, my, my brother-in-law. Um, but anyways, now let's get to um, the, the start of, of dealing with the huge, huge loss that Klal Yisrael, uh you know, went through. The, you know, Klal Yisrael recently... You know, uh, there's no other way to say it. Lost, you know, the Gadoladar, the the un, you know, like where, where nobody else is on, you know, his level. And I, I have to say, from all the Gadolim, um, the in the past recent years, you know, e- even compared to my Rosh Hashiva that were Gadolim, I had a a particular close close affinity or connection to Rab Chaim more than than anybody else. So this really affected me. Uh, to an utmost, uh, you know, degree, and I really wanted to speak, you know, uh, you know, about him and about things that we can take to learn from it. So, one of the important things is whenever you go to a or whenever you listen to class about, you know, listening to, to a gadol or a, um, you know, a hesped for a gadol, a eulogy for a gadol, you have to. It's not just about like, wow, this this person was so amazing, so great, and it's so unbelievable. We lost a great thing, which which obviously yes, it is a. Uh, it is a part of it, but there is also, as Rav David Kohn, the Rosh Hashiva of Hebron, goes and says, in the Gemara and Brachos, uh, page six B, goes and says, "Amar Rav Sheshes, Agra de Hispeda Diluye." Rav Sheshes says in the Gemara and Brachos that the primary reward for deli- delivering a eulogy is to cause those in the eulogy to raise their voices and cry. But Rav David Kohn goes and, and uses a, a um, tain- using the, the the terminology of Diluye. To instead of using it from crying, but at, rather from like a pail where you t- put it in the water and you take and you draw things out. So just like a pail, you draw from a well water. From a hesped, you're supposed to draw things out from your own personal life to change them, to do something and change them in your own personal life. The idea is that when you hear all these amazing things, you should do something to change your life. Something small, something big, whatever it is that you're able to do. And really that is the focus that we're going to be trying to gain today. There's going to be a lot of stories today. So there's going to be a lot of, uh, some personal, some, uh, some that I read, some that are floating around. But there's a lot of information out there and people don't realize that there is another step that they're missing when they just hear the story that's taken into their own personal, uh, you know, own personal life. The... Pasuk and Kohelis, in Ecclesiastes, if I'm saying it correctly, in chapter 3, from verse 2 to verse, and, and moving on, there, the, the famous, uh, verse, what Shlomo Malk tells us, there's a ace laledes, ve ace lamas, ace lifkais, ve lifkais, there's a time to laugh, there's a time to cry, there's a time to give birth, and there's a time to die. 
So there was a question that was asked to Rav Chaim, and that was, what do you mean that there is a time to die? Like, when is it like a good time to die? When is like, yeah, let's die. Like, there's like, how do we understand that there's a time to be born? Fine. But, you know, there's mazalot, there's different, there's different uh, you know, times where it's more auspicious for the baby. I get that. But when is a good time to die? So Rav Chaim goes and, and says that uh, a good time to die is Erev Shabbos. Why? Because the mazikim, the damagers, the damaging angels, they can't do anything during that time. And Amotzei Yom Kippur. Why? Because they got a kapara right after Yom Kippur. Uh, and the Zohar, and by the way, this people, you know, usually say as like, oh, you know, like, Purim is like Yom Kippur, and it's so nice because you could get so hard to tell him and he could get my shirt off. You don't realize it, like, the Zohar says this. The Zohar says that Purim is like Yom Kippur. Uh, and there's, there's different levels that we're able to reach on, on Purim that we're not able to reach on any other day of the, of the year. And it's very interesting. And there, there's a Kapara, there's, the, there's a Kabbalah Satara, there's a Kapara that we get on Yom Kippur, assuming that you tap into that power. The thing that Rab Chaim Kanievsky said is, when is a good time to die? Erev Shabbos and Maitzi Yom Kippur. When did he die? Erev Shabbos and Matzei Purim, which is just like as according to the Zohar of Matzei Yom Kippur. Just as if if you begin to realize of like the most auspicious time possible that Yom that Yom Kippur is a Yom Kippurim. It's a Yom like Purim, meaning that Purim is a higher level per se. So to realize of when he was Nifter, and I don't want to you know go into the you know the details of the like just how it worked out. It was a few hours before Shabbos, and they couldn't go and do the Levi before Shabbos. They had to wait till after Shabbos. So people, it, it was like one thing after another that you could see that it was just Minashemayim that it had to be specifically at that time. And not only that, the thing that like sort of like hit me the most is like I didn't even have a chance to David. Like you know I got. My my uh, sister lives in Neibrak, a few blocks away from Rebchaim. And um, my uh, my nephew was there, at, who happens to have WhatsApp. The rest of the family doesn't have what well, he has WhatsApp. So we got a message on the family chat that you know Rebchaim felt, please go Davin. And we're like, you know, like it was like, like how do we begin to understand? Like what do you, you know, you get like information. You're like what? Like you can't. You're like freeze. You're like wait, wait, what? And. Then, like a few minutes later, it wasn't that much longer, where we got the information that, you know, it was like, you know, Baruch Dynamis. And I was like, wait, that can't be true. That has to be false. That doesn't make any sense. And I look at, I quickly go on all the websites that have all the, you know, Jewish news, and none of them mention anything about Chaim was Nifter. So I was like, in my mind, it didn't happen. I don't know why this is where I draw my line of my information, where I get it from the from the websites. But whatever it was, is like, this is where I'm saying, like, no, 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 I, it, it wasn't there. So I was still saying to him, I was still like, you know, going through it. And uh, about, I don't know, maybe a half hour later, the website came out with, you know, unfortunately the news with Barak Dynamis, which, you know, was just interesting how, how long it took. Because... When my nephew gave me the news of Barach Dynamis, that's when already they, the information only came out to say to Helen. It didn't even come out that he was Nifter. It was like so, it was like a, a half hour, 45 minutes behind. But in any ways, it, it took me like in, in such a shock because like no one was expecting this. It's like it's one thing if the Gadol is sick and everyone's davening and you're ready for it. But then it just takes you by like stormy or like you're not, you're not ready for it. Like how do we deal with it? And it was like a very, very troubling Shabbos for many. And it was a very troubling week for many. Like how do we deal with the Gadol Adar like leaving us? Like, like we're left as, as like a, a, you know, a nation without a leader, so to, so to speak. And... <clears throat> I think it's very important to realize 
what type of person we just lost. To realize the godless of Rav Chaim Kanievsky. To realize that, you know, his day consisted of very little sleep. The majority of the day, and I want to say, I don't know, maybe about 20 hours, was done either, well, was done fully of learning Torah, but in between those breaks of learning Torah was seeing people, you know, you know, davening, whatever it is, chesed and Torah, like non-stop, around the clock. And, and people don't understand when, you know, there was like a WhatsApp going around of like, Rav Chaim Kanevsky, and I posted on my status myself, but I'm saying Rav Chaim Kanevsky, you know, 11, you know, pages of this, seven blot of this, all these things. We don't begin to understand that Rav, Rav Chaim Kanevsky finished every year, every year, the Mishnah, the Talmud Bavli, the Talmud Yerushalmi, the Nach, the Rambam, the Torah, the Shulchan Aruch, with the commentaries, the Mishnah Bura, the Medrash Rabbah, the Medrash Tanchuma, the Sifra, the Sifri, the Tesefta, and the Zohar. Now, to just to get the understanding of this, majority of the people do not get to finish this in their lifetime. Yet Rav Chaim Kanievsky finished this every single year. Every single year. And what he called it when he was learning, he called it his chavot, his, his chavos, his, his obligation, his debts, if you want to you know, uh, uh, translate it literally. There was uh, an avrech that you know, had a lot of chavos, had a lot of debt, and it was disturbing his learning. So, and it was disturbing as Shalom Bias, as financial problems, unfortunately, do cause. And Rav, uh, so he goes over to Rav Chaim and he says, Rav Chaim, you know, like, you know, I have so much debt that I can't concentrate on my learning. I, you know, my Shalom Bias is breaking, you know, like I can't do anything. So Rav Chaim looks at him and he says, I also have debt. You know, like, what, what do you mean? You know, Rav Chaim's debt is, is the learning that he has to do, that he calls it the Chobos, the debt. So the, the Avrich was like, you know, with all due respect, my dear rabbi, he says, your debt and my debt are very different. My debt is financial. He says, it, it causes a big issue. So Rav Chaim Kanevsky goes to him and, and looks at him and says, if you do my debt, then you won't have your debt. If you do my chobos, you won't have your chobos. Meaning, if you finish what I finished, then you're not going to have any worries about it. So this Avrich was like, uh, you know, that's nice, but like, there's no way that I'm finishing, you know, Talmud Bavit, Talmud Yishalmi, Talmud, you know, the, the, the Rambam, the, the, the Shulchan Aruch. Like, where am I going to, the Zohar, forget about it. Like, how am I going to finish it? So Rav Chaim goes and says to him, you know what? Start with the Bavli. And by the way, it's no easy feat to finish the Talmud Bavli in one year. And to finish it in one year, you have to learn a little bit more than seven blot a day, which about, you know, if anybody learns, you know, uh, uh, um, Daf Yomi, it takes close to an hour to learn one, one of those, one of those blah, one of those pages. So to finish seven is a big feat. So the, this is what Rav Chaim said. So he decided he's going to take upon himself. And he started learning seven blot a day. A few weeks of him learning this, the, um, the, his, where he was learning, he was learning in Kol full time. They heard what he was doing. And within a short period of time, they raised all the money that he needed. And look what Reb Chaim said. Reb Chaim said, you take on my debt. He said, you can't do that, fine. Do Talmud Bavli and don't worry about it. Everything else will be taken care of. Within a few short weeks, his entire debt was canceled. He was, all the money was raised and it was done. Usually, on uh, the years that there was a, a, a leap year, like this past year, where there's two months of Adar, the, you know, Reb Chaim Kanevsky would finish you know, his learning. He had an extra month. So he would finish it, usually Erev Purim. He would finish it before Purim. And he would take that extra month to write a safer. And the, like people say this when they when they speak about it, they they say this like as a matter of fact. I'm like, do you know what that means? Like, will you just like take a month off to write it? People spend years 
like years writing a safer. And Rav Chaim Kanetsky would take a month off, well, like, not a month off, I'm saying, but he would take a month and he was like, yeah, let's publish this safer over here. Like he would, he, like we don't understand that godless. But you know what's so interesting? The, this year, it was, uh, you know, two, you know, those two others. Every year, Rav Chaim Kanetsky finishes his seam on Erev Pesach. But this year, he finished it Erev Purim. Which look at how HaKadosh Baruch Hu did it. That HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave him the ability to go and finish an, another whole set of his siyumim. He finished it exactly on Erev Purim. Then came Purim. And Mamish Shushan Purim. The day after Purim, that's when he was Nifter. You would think that you have a gadol. So he would live like a king. He would live like, you know, like, you know, an unbelievable amount of money that goes through him. The amount of money that, that, that people want to give him. And in fact, there was a wealthy person that one came to visit him. And he said, he looked at, you know, he looked at the house. And I don't know if anybody here has visited the house. I've been there, you know, it was my school to be there a few times. And I, you know, the house is less than simple. Like, forget about like, like the necessities. Even in Israel standards, it's considered a simple house. And, um, there was a wealthy man that said, you know, like, let me buy you, let me build you a spacious house. And they, you know, the entire, Rabbi Chaim Kanetsky, they said, no, no, absolutely not. They said, because you have so many people coming into, to him to visit him, this encourages people that they see the economic hardship that, the, the, you know, they live by, that still they're able to devote themselves to Torah study. Because people will think, okay, fine, Sir Abraham, he became such a great man and he lives in such a, you know, such a beautiful house and he has so many people running after and serving him. That's why he's able to sit and learn, <coughs> excuse me, for 12 hours a day, 15 hours a day. Why am I saying 12 hours a day? Why am I saying 15 hours a day? 20 hours a day. That's what he's able to learn. But other, yeah, if I had that, then maybe I'll be able to do an hour and a half. But when you think about it, he know, he said, no, I don't want a fancy house because I want people to realize that you're able to follow and you're able to live a Torah lifestyle. You're able to learn and devote yourself entirely to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, even living simply. There was once a group, a group of Bachan that went to get bracha from Reb Chaim Kanevsky. So they all lined up, one after another, and Reb Chaim went and he, you know, looked at, at each Bachar, gave him a bracha, uh, you know, the, his regular, either the Bua or the bracha v'atzlacha, and everyone said Amen, and they went. And they one by one. When they came to one particular boy, Rab Chaim sort of passed him over. He sort of ignored him and went to the other guy. So the boy thought, okay, maybe Rab Chaim like, missed that I was here. So he went back to the back of the line and sort of did a you know, double take and waited on the line again. And then when the, bachar, when the, when the boy came to, in time to speak to Rab Chaim, Rab Chaim again skipped him over. So the boy was like, you know, what's going on? So he went to his Rebbe, who was, came there with him, and he says, I don't know, I, I, I went with, I went on the line, Reb Chaim ignored me. I went on the line again, and he ignored me again, like, should I go again? Like, I don't know what to do. So, um, at this point, the boys were outside in, this, in another room, and the Rebbe said, let me go and, and ask Reb Chaim, then maybe I'll call you back in. So, this Rebbe goes out, and he says to Reb Chaim, he says, you know, you missed a, a, a boy, you know, twice, he came to you, and Rab Chaim says, um, Rab Chaim says, yeah, but, uh, he says, how can I give a bracha to somebody who does not concern himself, he's, he's unconcerned with the laws of Basar Bechalov, of milk and meat, he, that he eats together. And the Rebbe was not, he was like, no, it's like, you know, there's a boy in Yeshiva, he's a good boy, he's like, he's like and Rab Chaim, you know, said, like, no, how can, I'm not, I'm not going to give a bracha to somebody who, you know, is not, is not dealing with the, with the, with the halachas of eating milk and meat together. 
So the Rebbe didn't know what to say. He went back to the boy and he told him, he says, you know, I don't know what to tell you, but this is what Rabbi Chaim said. That he says that, you know, he can't give you a bracha because you're not, uh, you, you don't, you know, follow the laws, the halachas of uh, meat, milk and meat. And suddenly, you know, the boy started bawling, crying. And the Rebbe was like taking it back. He's like, well, what's going on? And the boy goes and he says, you know, he says, we have at lunch, we have meat. And by, when it comes time for second seder, which is about an hour or so afterwards, I go and I, um, I, I make a coffee with milk. And he started crying and he says, I, you know, like it was a difficult test. You know, and he goes and he says, but I, I promise I'll change myself. I'll, I'll do tshuva, I'll do whatever. And he goes on and he says, please, you know, speak to her. So he goes back to Reb Chaim. <coughs> and Reb Chaim goes to him and he says, and, and now he gives him a bracham. After the boy leaves again, the Rebbe, you know, and the Gabi go over to the Reb Chaim and he says, you know, like, how did you know? Like, we're, like, how did you even begin to know? So Reb Chaim was trying to downplay the fact that he knew it and he was like, you know, like, you know, like, because the Rebbe asked him, he says, are, are you a Nuffy? Are you a prophet? Like, how, how did you see that? So the Reb Chaim Kanevsi goes and says, no, I'm not a Nuffy, I'm not a prophet. He said, you know, it, it's simply this, you know, I, I saw the image of a goat on his forehead. And Chazal tell us that somebody who does an Avera with Basar V'chalav, with milk and meat, has the image of a goat on his forehead. And Reb Chaim was trying to like downplay the fact that he just like read someone's forehead. And he goes and he says, you know, the, the, the Arizal goes and writes that any Avera, any sin that a person does, there corresponds to a different image that appears on a person's face. And he goes and says, you know, the, the tzaddik and the righteous people, they're able to see these images and they're able to advise the people on the correct ways on which to do tshuva. So this is how like, Rabbi Chaim tried to downplay it. And there's without a doubt that there are numerous stories where Rabbi Chaim was able to see things that nobody else can see. There was another story where a group of modern um, American boys came in to get a bracha, about 20 guys. And two guys, again... Reb Chaim skipped. So one of the Rebbeim went over and he says, you know, you missed two of the guys. And Reb Chaim goes and he says, I'm sorry, I, I don't give the brachas to the, you know, to, to the non-Jews that are in here. And they were like, no, you know, you know, Reb Chaim, you know, like, no, you know, Rebbe, it's, it's the boys from the yeshiva. These are boys from, from the yeshiva. And Chaim says, I'm not giving brachas to non-Jews. And like, that was the end of it. Like, that was the end of the conversation. And the Gabbai went, and told the Rebbe, he says, look into it, see what happened, you know, like what's going on with this family. And it turns out that one of these boys' mothers didn't convert, just pretended that she converted and she went, so her child was non-Jewish. The other boy, his mother converted conservative, which, you know, you can take that conservative conversion and, you know, make a paper airplane and fly it over the Jordan River. That's exactly what it's going to be useful for. So... You see, Reb Chaim had, like, and by the way, there was, like, numerous stories. There was a chassid, a chassid, that came in a few days before his wedding to get a bracha from Reb Chaim Kanievsky for his, for his marriage. Reb Chaim looks at him, and he says, uh, your kala isn't Jewish. And he was, this is a chassid that you're dealing with. And it turns out that his kala's mother converted conservative. Didn't convert a conservative. Like, how were you able to see this? I, I want to share with you, you know, someone, some, a story that I heard personally, from the person, there was a uh, there was a doctor that came in from America that was supposed to go see <coughs> Reb Chaim Kanievsky. He was supposed to go see with uh, Reb Simcha Sheinberg. Reb Simcha Sheinberg wasn't able to, <coughs> so he went up 
He went, I'll, I'll just tell you who it was. He, I, I, I don't think he's going to care. It's my brother-in-law, Rabbi Ephraim Krohn. Uh, he went over to Rabbi Ephraim Krohn, and, and he said, I can't take the, the doctor to Rabbi Chaim. Can you please take him to the doctor? So my brother-in-law, Rabbi Ephraim Krohn, said, yeah, not a problem. This, this doctor was a, uh, was a dentist. And um, they, take him, uh, they take him to Rabbi Chaim, and like the Gabai, I guess, misunderstood something. And the guy goes over to Rab Chaim and he says, this doctor is from America, he is an eye doctor. And Rab Chaim looks at him and he says, no, he's a dentist. And the guy is like, no, he's an eye doctor. And, you know, because in Hebrew, a naim, rofe a naim is an eye doctor, rofe shinaim is a, is a dentist. So it's very similar. So I guess the guy misunderstood it. So the, the Gabbai is telling Reb Chaim, here's the Rofei Naim, the eye doctor. Reb Chaim says, no, it's Rofei Naim. And they're going, they're going back and forth. And all of a sudden, Reb Chaim looks at the doctor, smiles at him, covers his mouth, and he says, no, Rofei Naim. And he goes over to the, eye, to the, to the mouth dentist and says, don't look at my teeth. He goes over to him. And this is where nobody, and, and they were sitting in the room over there, nobody... No, I heard this from my brother-in-law who was sitting with the Reb Chaim when this happened. Nobody told Reb Chaim that he was a, that he was a the dentist. They told him that he was an eye doctor. There was nothing else that was mentioned on it. Like, how do you even begin to like like do you even begin to understand what level this is on? I'll tell you two stories that happened to me personally that I probably said I definitely said this before. I don't know who heard it from the class over here before. So one time I went with my um, uh, with. I think it's all my brothers. I'm pretty sure it's all my brothers. We went to Reb Chaim. We were Zoha to have a little bit of a connection and to be able to get in when people were not, you know, usually there. We were able to get in without a line, you know. And and uh, um, so we, we came in. We come in over there, and Reb Chaim is sitting, and he's. Um, I'm looking at my wall over there because I, I, I'm gonna I'll, maybe so. I'll, I have to show you a picture. I have to show you a picture. But let me let me say this part of the story. Reb Chaim. Um, is, is sitting and he's learning Gemara. No, I, in order to understand the story, give me like a second. I have to show you this picture. Hold on one second. Just so you understand what we're talking about. I don't know why I didn't think to bring about this earlier. Okay, so uh, one of the times when I was in Astral, I went with my son and, and actually my nephew over here. Hold on one second. Let me just put my mic back on. To get a bracha. I don't know if you could see that over there. To get a bracha from oh, there's the the thing from Reb Chaim Kanevsky, and this this is how I don't know if you, uh, I don't know there's a, there's a little bit of a glare, so I apologize it, but this is how this is how when you go see Reb Chaim, this is how well, this is what it looks like. You go there, and people are snapping pictures as and Reb Chaim is sitting there and he's just learning. He has a I don't know if you could see from the picture, but he has a little index card that he mamish just goes down the page as he goes, as he's learning. And there are people that are talking around him. There's a whole commotion. And literally, me, my son, and my nephew are sitting over here and I'm taking a picture with him. Like this is, and he doesn't even blink. There's like flash. He's just like learning the entire time. He's completely focused on the, you know, uh, you know, on, on his learning. And when his gabai, which is usually his grandson or, 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 you know, one of his children or one of the gabai, they come and they say, you know, and they give him the, the you, know, the, you know, they say this person is here for this bracha and so on and so forth. They come in, he looks up and he gives him the bracha. So this is how it happened, not this time, a different time, where we went to Rabchaim with all my brothers 
And we, we go and Reb Chaim is sitting over there, completely zoned into his, to his learning. And we'll soon see how zoned in that he actually was. Um, and he's, he's zoned in on his learning. And me, my father, my brothers, we're all walking in. And suddenly Reb Chaim looks up. He usually doesn't. He looks up, looks at my older brother. I don't know if I'm calling it out of this. He's gonna, I don't know. He looks at my older brother and he says, you know, Tawid Tashon. Take off the watch. Reb Chaim was very against watches. Watches, you know, from Begadisha, whatever it was. He had, you know, I think he's got watches. Now, my brother came in with a suit, with a hat. You know, like, there's no way that he saw the watch. And he just, he looked up, zoned in instantly on my brother, and said, you know, to take off the watch. And it, it was like, it was like, where did that even come from? My brother was like, I didn't even know, you know, like, he throws it, he throws it across the room. Like, I don't have a watch. I don't know what you're talking about. You know, like, we didn't even, like, it wasn't even, like, mentioned to us. This is one of the first earlier times that we came in. And he came in. Literally, like, there was no, you know, mention of it. There was, like, no, like, he didn't even, like, he, it wasn't like he was looking. He just, like, looked up and he knew that somebody had a watch. I'm telling you, it was the, like, I, I don't want to say the weirdest thing, but it was, it was like, what just happened? Like, I don't know what to say anymore. Like, I, like, it was, you know, was there a magician over here? Like, I feel like I just witnessed a magic act. Like, like, this does it. La Havdil, Alpha Elf Adolfs. You know, and then it was funny because there was another, there was a, there was another person that once came to Rabchaim Kanevsky wearing a watch. And, um, Rabchaim Kanevsky goes over to him and says, why are you wearing a watch? And he says, no, Rabbi, I wore it on my other hand. <laughs> He's outsmarting the godel over here. So I wore it on my other hand. Rabbi Chaim Kavsky looks at him as if he's outside. He says, wear it on your leg next time. And then he goes back to learning as if he's going, you know, like he's outsmarting him. But I want to share with you another story that happened with me with Rabbi Chaim. Um, and um, this was about four years ago. I went to Rabbi Chaim Kanievsky and I... I went and I had a, a whole list of, 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 I don't know, it was more brachas that I was asking for him. And then one for Rafur Shlema. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that you guys, uh, people from the What's It Called, have heard it, um, you know, from the, from the regular class. So for, for Rafur Shlema, for a certain, uh, you know, for, I'll tell you who it was, actually. It was for my wife's very close friend. And she, what happened was is that she was, uh, she was in labor and she had an embolism and she went into a coma. And, uh, you know, she, she, she was in a coma for about two months at this point in time. And I went over to Reb Chaim, asked him for a, bra- for a bracha for a four shlema. And I asked him for a whole list of things. And I asked him for a four shlema for this woman, which was, her name was, uh, Miriam Bas Bracha. And, uh, you know, Reb Chaim went and gave me a bracha on all the things that I, you know, asked with, you know, through the Gabbai. And, however, he, he skipped the Miriam, their four shlema for Miriam Bas Bracha. So I went over back to the Gabbai and I'm saying, you know, the Rav missed, you know, the four shlema, can the Rav get a, and, and the Gabbai asked again, and Rav Chaim ignored it. So I'm like, I'm sitting over there, like every second, you, you can't, you know, it's a gadol dar, you can't like waste time. And, you know, I, I tried twice, and I said, fine, no, I, I called my wife up, I said I tried, and this is what happened. She said, okay, fine, thank you for trying, you know, that was the end of it. A month and a half later, about six weeks later, she passed away, she was nifter. And I went over, I went to the um, Shiva house to pay, obviously, the, the Shiva call. And I spoke to the brother-in-law, one of the brother-in-laws. And the brother-in-law mentioned to me that he went to Reb Chaim. And, um, you know, he went to Reb Chaim. And Reb Chaim, uh, you know, he asked for a bracha for Refor Shlema. And Reb Chaim ignored it. And I didn't even register this. After I left the Shiva house, I called my wife. And I was like, by the way, this is what his, you know, like the brother-in-law says. And, and my wife was like... Don't you remember? Like this happened to you also. Like we're, 
You asked Reb Chaim for a bracha and he ignored it. This brother-in-law, completely different, like not the same time at all, he came like maybe a month before me, asked Reb Chaim, can I ask for a bracha and Reb Chaim ignored it. And this was like something that baffled me. Like he re- like in my mind, this is how I interpret it, that he realized that this woman is not going to make it, so he just ignored the, the, the entire question entirely, not only to me, Twice, but also to the brother-in-law. I don't know how many times he asked it. And this is a level that, do you understand? Like, we, we don't even begin to understand, at, like, the level of godless that we have over here, that we had, you know, over here. There was a famous story where there was a, um, there was a from guy from New Jersey that was involved in a terrible car accident. Uh, he, he killed a old non-Jewish man in an accident. And the, he went to court, and they found him non-guilty, and because it wasn't his fault, and it, you know that he wasn't held by any you know means that he was had to you know any like nothing. He was completely not guilty. However, he had no peace of mind. He killed a person. You know, it's like like there's a person not alive anymore because of him, and he lost his appetite. He wasn't able to sleep. So he 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 decided he's going to go and he's going to send a question to Rabbi Chaim Kanievsky. So he went over to Rab Chaim Kanievsky. He, he actually, he sent it over. He sent over a question to Rab Chaim Kanievsky. Uh, his entire situation. And Rab Chaim Kanievsky responded with one word. And that one word was a malik. And the guy was like, he didn't understand the question. He's like, he said, you know, he went into an accident and this and the guy died. And he, like, and the only word that he got was a malik. He didn't know like what that meant. That didn't mean anything to him. So, you know, he just kept on. Again, he couldn't fall asleep. He was many sleepless nights. He decided at some point that he has to move out of his house. Mishana Maka, Mishana Mazla, he has to change his, his, change his environment. He, he couldn't live like this. So he began searching for a new house. And he found a certain house that the, the sellers were very eager to sell. What happened was, is that they inherited from, you know, this house from their father who died a few months earlier. And they wanted to just get rid of it. So he goes under contract and, um, you know, and, and I believe he buys a house. And he buys a house and I don't know if it's before closing or after closing, he finds out that this apartment, this house, whatever it was, that it, who did it belong to? It belonged to none other than the person that he just killed in the car accident. He's like, are you kidding me? He's like, can I not get away from this? Like, literally, like, out of all the houses that I search to buy, I find a house that the person that died in the accident. So <clears throat> he has the house now. He goes and um, he starts, you know, cleaning it up. It was a little bit messy. He goes into the basement. He finds this, this like, room that they, the, the previous owners forgot to clear out. It was like a hidden compartment. And he, he sees there's a box in there. He opens this box and he sees... That it's a um, it's it's a Nazi uniform. It's an SS uniform, and he goes a little, he digs a little bit deeper, and he finds that there was uh, a picture of this person who owned the house together with Adolf Hitler, together with him together. And not only that, he does even more research. Listen to this, this story. Like I would say, you can't even make it up. But the only way that it makes sense is if you make it up. You think so? But this was a real story. He goes on, and this, the Nazis were very meticulous in their, in their details of the cap. This, this Nazi, this, this SS officer, he had there a list of names of all the Jewish people that he killed. I guess this was his pride and glory, this was his prized possession. And he's going through the list, and all of a sudden, the, the, the owner of the house starts turning white and starts shaking. 
Who does he see on the list? None other than his own two parents that were murdered in the Holocaust were murdered by none other than this Nazi who ran to America, to New Jersey to escape. But what happened? How did the divine intervention work out? That his son ended up killing, you know, obviously unintentionally, his, uh, his, uh, um, his parents. You know, How? There's nothing like, how do you even begin to like, this is like a, a, a story that a writer writes, you know, like, oh, everything plugs in and then they make it into a movie and then it becomes a blockbuster or whatever it is, it becomes a big thing. Like, this is Reb Chaim saw the question, says I'm Malik and that was it. And now all of a sudden he realized what Reb Chaim Kanevsky meant. This is somebody that was just nifter, lived in our generation. Our generation. There was a, um, there was a person that bought an apartment in uh, you know in Israel, and his neighbor only after he moved in found out that he was how do you say this in the nicest way was connected to a corporation that deals in the underworld. If you know what I'm talking about, they don't deal in the legal sense of things. They like to go above and beyond. I don't want to say lifnim mishur asadin, but you know, above mishur asadin. Basically, they take the matters into their own hands. Basically, it was a guy that was connected to the underworld, and he had a huge hatred towards Jews, like huge. And when he found out that a religious Jew moved, moved, you know, as his next door neighbor, he went and every Shabbos he would blast this like disgusting music so they wouldn't be able to enjoy. And if the if the family left, you know, some sort of toys in the sheared courtyard, he would go and he would destroy them, and he would he would really cause them so much trouble. And they were, you know, going through, they even tried to go through authorities, and the authorities were like, they didn't want to, they, they, the authorities themselves didn't want to deal with it. That's how well this guy was connected. They, they're like, well, there's nothing that we could do. So they decided they're going to sell the house. They, they can't live here anymore. So they found a person, nobody wanted to buy the house because they realized what was going on. They found a person that was willing to buy it, but he like lowballed them on such a low offer, they would lose a ton of money of what they originally put in. But they decided, like, what are they going to do? They can't live here anymore. So they, they, were, they were willing to go through that loss, but they, they, they decided before selling it, let's go get a bracha from Reb Chaim. So they went to Reb Chaim for a bracha, and Reb Chaim goes over to him and says, no, don't sell it. And they're like, wait, what? And Reb Chaim goes over to him and he says, wait until he runs away. All right? You know, like, you know when you have a gadol like that, say something, you don't say anything, you, you know... All right, you say thank you, and you uh, amen, and you, you leave. Two weeks later, exactly two weeks later, there was a truck that drove, uh, you know, on the curb, on, you know, by accident, and hit an electric pole, and took out all the wires. It was a surge in all the wires, and the neighbor's expensive security system was all off. It must have been a day or two after that that his his home was was robbed, and he lost about, you know, a little bit over a million dollars in his, in this robbery. And he, this, this neighbor, this non-Jewish, this, uh, whatever, I don't know if he was not Jewish, he was, I'm pretty sure he was Jewish, but he, he fell into such a depression that the, the other neighbors didn't see him for the next three months. And they had like peace, quiet, tranquility, they had happiness for the first time. And a short while later, about a few months after that, they were approached by a real estate broker. And the real estate broker went and they told him that, uh, you know, there's a developer that wants to build a new building on the site of your property. And they, he, the, this developer offered them a larger apartment in a new building and a significant sum of money in exchange for their permission to build on their property. 
and they go and and the real estate agent goes over and this is the key he goes over to his he goes over to this from guy and he says you know we already purchased the rights from your neighbor the problematic neighbor and the neighbor said something very weird he says he just wants to run away from this entire area those are the exact words that he used Reb Chaim Kenefi says wait until he runs away how do you even begin to explain these things you know the on Rosh Hashanah there was a story that came out that one time they saw Rab Chaim Kanevsky was like a little bit on the downside. Like I can't say down, but he said it was very hard for him, you know, like what was going on. And they went over to him and says, what's, you know, I don't know if it's one of his children, one of his grandchildren. He says, what's bothering you? And he goes and he says, before Shana, there's a lot of people that come to me for brachos. And, you know, I see people that are not going to, you know, they're decreed that not going to make it throughout the year. And he says... It hurts me. It bothers me. Like I, you know, like I don't know, you know, like, it, and it may brings them down. It brings them sad. Like the, the level that you know we don't realize. I, I always think about it. I'm like, don't you wish you heard these stories like two years ago, so that you would be able to go? But you know what the funny thing is, is that these stories were around a few years ago. They were around. I, for some reason, just people don't speak about it. Like maybe we should. So it will be an embarrassing thing for people, but maybe like like the people that speak in public should just speak about all that tzaddikim in the generation and just like spill the beans, you know, like what they had. But the answer really is is that a lot of these tzaddikim don't want this information out there. They don't want. They don't want why? Because then they're going to be bothered. They want to sit and learn. That's what they want to do. They want to do all this Hashem. But in any case, you know, like you know, it, it, it's crazy to to realize of what we had. We had we had this in our generation. Oh, a little, exactly a week ago, he was still alive. Like, we had this. This we had. We, we, in our generation, we had the ability. There was once a yeshiva student that went to visit Reb Chaim Kanievsky. He wanted to get a bracha for uh, finding a shidduch. And he had a very hard time finding a shidduch. Why? Because he had a huge scar across his face. And Reb Chaim goes, and he always used to hide the, you know, how he got the scar. He tried to hide the fact Rav Chaim goes over to him and he says, the next girl that you date, tell her exactly how you got the scar. So he says, well, you know, okay. You know, and, 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 you know, Gadol tells you to do something, you do something. So the next date that he goes on, he goes and he tells the girl exactly what happened. He said that, you know, there was an Arab that was chasing a Haredi family, a from family, and he saw it and he tried to stop it, so he ran after it. But the Arab, instead of going and, you know, like continue chasing the he went and he chased this boy himself and he took the knife and he, you know, sliced it through his, through his face and that's how he got the scar. And the girl who's sitting across from him listens to it, her mouth like opens up and she's like, what? And before the boy has a chance to respond, she's like, that was my family. Like, you were the guy? Like, you, the, you're the, long story short, they were engaged within a few days, right? That was the end of the story, they were engaged a few days. You're looking at, like, how do you even begin to explain these types of stories? You know, and, and you hear these stories of these miraculous stories, and by the way, they go on for like, you could go on for hours on these stories. And you think, okay, fine, you know, you had, such a high nisham, you have such a high lofty person like Reb Chaim Kanievsky, you know, like he was able to do it. We, we have to realize that we were all human. Reb Chaim Kanievsky was human, we're human, all the G'daylin before him were you, we're all human beings. 
So how did he merit? I mean, again, I, who am I to say how he merited? I can't even begin to, to, to say that. But when we understand the way that, that what is a gadol, what is a, a tzaddik, that someone, the tzaddik doesn't make a miracle. HaKadosh Baruch Hu makes a miracle. But the tzaddik is an extension of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The tzaddik gets so close to Hashem that they're, you know, an extension. You know, I give you a mashal that my brother-in-law gave. I thought it was beautiful. And he, he was like, when you, when you have a, a wealthy, multi-millionaire businessman, successful businessman, and the businessman says, I don't have time to deal with all the collectors. And he goes to his secretary, and he says, you deal with all the collectors. And the collectors call her, and she writes out checks one after another. $1,000 for here, $1,500 for here, $2,000 for here, $2,500 for here. Meaning, meanwhile, she barely makes $1,000 a week. But she's writing out checks for thousands of dollars. Why? Because she's not writing. It's not her own personal. It's, it's the businessman's checks. It's all the businessman's money. When we realize, we realize what a gadol is, a gadol is someone that attaches themselves to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that they're sort of an extension. That they have the power, the ability to give those brachas because they have that connection with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. They have that close connection. Now, you know, we hear these stories, we'll be like, oh, you know, like if I only the God, yes, a God will do, but we, we tend to forget the fact that we have the ability to get close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu also. We have the ability to go and give those get that power as well if we connect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Of course, it's beyond us, you know, to even begin to fathom the connection of a Godel like Rabbi Chaim Kanievsky had. But that doesn't stop us from getting at least a small connection. Something small, at least you can get that. <clears throat> you know, Rabbi Chaim Kanievsky, as well as many Gedalim, they didn't put into their head anything else. They didn't put any, they didn't memorize anything else other, any, unless it was connected to the Torah. One time, Rabbi Chaim Kanievsky was walking, and he was learning. In his mind, he was learning. And he finds himself by the Coca-Cola factory. And anybody who's visited Nebrak knows this Coca-Cola factory. Because as you enter Nebrak, there is a Coca-Cola factory. And Reb Chaim Kinesi looks at it, and he's like, he has, he's obviously lost. He has no idea how he got there. And uh, there was someone that was driving by, and he notices that Reb Chaim Kinesi is like near the Coca-Cola factory. So he pulls over, he goes over to Reb Chaim, and he says, you know, he says, you know, quite a rub. What are you doing here? And Rukhaim says, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, you know, I just got, I don't know. So, you know, so he goes over to Rukhaim and says, let me take you to where you need to go. So Rukhaim says, I don't want to be matriarch you. I don't want to, you know, I, I don't want to disturb you. And he says, no, no, no. He says, let me take you. And Rukhaim says, you take me until I recognize, you know, the, the oh, I'm sorry, the, the driver says, I'll take you until you recognize the area and then I'll drop you off this way. So Rukhaim says, fine. So they drive into Nebrak, and he goes, you know, you recognize the street? Nope. You recognize the street? Nope. He goes in until he's like a block and a half away from his house. And he goes to he says, you recognize the street? Until, he says, Reb Chaim says, no, I don't recognize this. Until he reaches Rehov Rajbam, which is where Reb Chaim lives. And he pulls up, like, close to where his house is. And Reb Chaim says, oh, I recognize here. He says, this place I recognize. Reb Chaim Kenyaski traveled to Brisim, to, he, he was sonded to so many places, knew nothing. He knows where his house is. That's about it. But how to get there beyond beyond it? You know, like that's not it. You know, there's a story that said, I believe it's from Rab Shach, where his wife asked him to buy a watermelon. So he says, fine. He goes, he buys a watermelon, and he's how do you hold a watermelon? You hold it like you know, like a football, like a baby. You know, like it's a heavy thing. So he's walking. He's he's going and he's walking home, and somewhere along the road, 
the watermelon just like slipped and fell out of his out of Rav Shach's hands. But Rav Shach was so engrossed in his learning that he kept on walking. But he kept on walking as if he's carrying something. So he's like walking and learning. And meanwhile, he's walking, holding like nothing. There was nothing there. Why? Because his mind was not even there. It was mind was only learning Torah. The, the, you know, there's a story about the stipler, that, which is Rav Chaim Kanievsky's father, that uh, one time somebody was cleaning next to, uh, next to him and there was a shmata and there was a, like, a, like a little bowl of water. And they were dipping in the bowl of water and they were cleaning whatever it was around them. And the stipler was learning, and he thought someone brought him soup. So he started eating, drinking, you know, the water. He thought that this was a, this was a soup until he realized, no, no, this is not your, this is, you know, this is shemata, thing like that. And it wasn't like he would have realized, he would have finished the bowl. And then he would have gone over to his wife and said, that was delicious, thank you very much. You know, it was amazing. Like, this is the level. And in fact, Rebetzin Kamievsky related a story about Reb Chaim. And she goes and says that one time she accidentally locked herself out of her house. And the only person that was home was Reb Chaim Kanievsky and he was learning. So she knocked on the door, knocked and knocked and knocked and knocked. And she said no one was answering. 20 minutes go by and finally Reb Chaim Kanievsky heard something. So he goes over to open the door. But his head is still learning. Like he walks over to open the door. He opens the door. Outside is his rabbit and his wife. He opens the door. He's in his learning. He's not looking. He's like in his mind. And he goes and he says, I'm sorry, the Rebbitzin is not home. Please come back later. He tells this to his Rebbitzin who's sitting outside. And the Rebbitzin looks at him and she's like, Sekhaim, it's me? It's like, I'm your, no, let me, and then he let him in. This is what the Rebbitzin said. Like he opened the door, he saw, he was in his mold, he was learning. That's where he was. You know what a lesson that we could learn from that? Okay, fine, so maybe we're not in the lesson that we're, we're walking in the street holding an empty water melon, or maybe drinking a shmata thing of, of you know, of, of, of pail of water, or maybe answering the door and saying, I'm sorry, my wife is... If you answer the door and you say, I'm sorry, my wife is not home, there's going to be questions that's going to be asked, right? Reb Chaim could say that. You cannot say that. Don't pretend. But when you think about it, but like the level of concentration, the level of focus that these G'daylem had was completely involved in Torah. So we can't say, maybe I can't reach that level. But maybe the next time that you listen to a shir, maybe the next time you open a safer, focus. Concentrate just a little bit. How many, we all know we have levels of concentrations. Levels of focus. Whether you're in college, whether you're working, whether you're learning, there's levels of focus. And you, sometimes you're able to f- reach that focus on a higher level. Some people take extracurricular, you know, I don't know, Adderalls, I don't know, and others say to get their focus in line, what they need to focus and study, and things like that. But imagine, just for a minute, that the next time that you focus, that you learn, that you put your full concentration. And maybe you're not able to do that for a full like hour of a shear, or a full like half hour that you're opening up a safer or learning, but maybe for five minutes. Maybe for five minutes you could give it like Super duper focus, you know, like like steroid level focus, like nitro level focus. Whoever knows what I'm talking about, you know, like a focus that you're like, I'm zoning to here, and nothing else in the world exists. Like we may not able to do that twenty hours a day, which these gedolim were able to, but for five minutes, maybe that we could do. Maybe that is something that we take out. We realize, you know what. These G'daylim were able to be so focused in that maybe we could be that. The Rosh Yiva of Hebron, of David Kohn, goes and said that the Vilna Gohan, the Gros, says in Siach Yitzhak, 
that, you know, we daven, we say in the morning, V'targelinu b'sar And in that, the parish of the Gra is that everybody inside is built in with a love of Torah, a desire of Torah, the sweetness of Torah. We have it all inside of us. We may not be able to tap into it, but it's all inside of us. We think that, okay, fine. Rav Chaim Knievsky, Rav Shach, the Stipler, Rav Liyashem, these are the G'dolim, these are the G'dolim, they were able to, they, they had this love. It says, no, no, no. It means that every single one of us, every single one of us has that connection. And sometimes, sometimes we're able to tap into that connection. Sometimes you're able to tap into that connection where we're completely zoned and completely focused. I have to say, I wish that it would happen to me more often. But every once in a while, I, you know, I'm zoned to have that where I'm like so focused in there and I wish, oh, how it would happen more often. So focused that when I get up, when I, when I look up and I'm like, wait, what, like what time is it? Like how did that time just, just transfer? Like there are, there are, there are stories of Gedalib. I, I don't remember if it was uh, the stipler of Shaka or who I read this by where they, uh, one of the grandsons was with the Gadol, and he made him a cup of coffee at like 11.45. At 3 a.m., the grandson goes over back to the Gadol and be like, you know, you know, Saba, you know, Zaydi, you know, Grandpa, can I make you a cup of coffee? And he's like, what do you mean? You just, literally just made me one. And he was like, that was like four hours ago. It's like, that was four four hours ago. Was like, where did the time go? It's like, you know, like, the time when you zone in, all of a sudden, like, the world outside you stops. And, you know, like, like for people who could comprehend this, like imagine that you're, you're very enveloped in something. You're, you're listening to something. You're reading something. You're, you're watching something. And all of a sudden you're like, wait, how long was that? Like, that was so good. I was so enveloped in it. Like, that's the level that you have to be when you're learning Torah. Like, when you're so just like sucked in that you can't, like, like, like everything else is like, wait, that was an hour? Like, I can't believe, like, we just sat here for an hour learning, uh, you know, about, you know, Rab Chaim Kanevsky, um, which is actually pretty close, where we are, 50 minutes, we were just sitting, we were like, what, that was that long? Like, it just, like, sort of like, you get so enveloped in it. That's the goal. That should be your focus. And you might not be able, but you could try for five minutes. And if you're not able to do, there, there is asay toif, there's doing good, there's adding good, but there's also surmira, removing from yourself, refraining from doing bad, refraining, you know, let's say you, you're not on the level, you can't focus, but you can refrain from doing bad, you can refrain from speaking Lashon Hara, you can refrain from dressing not sneas, you have a, a article of clothing, and then you say, you know what, I'm not wearing this today. You can refrain from watching something, from looking at something, from listening to something that maybe you should not do, we have the ability to also do that. We have to realize that we lost a gadol. There is so much lacking in our world. Nobody could replace that. But collectively, if we all just add a little bit more, we could do something. I have to say something beautiful that's happening in my community in Jackson, New Jersey. Jackson, New Jersey is doing something amazing that um, from now until Pesach, the entire community is trying to finish the entire Bavli and make a Sima Shas by Erev Pesach. Just like Reb Chaim used to go do it. And, and that was just like, it's, it's unbelievable. I thought it was amazing. Such an amazing thing to do. Like to go and tap into that. I don't know if it's only for the community. Maybe you could, t- maybe you could go and, and join even if you're outside the community. But it's, but it's something that, that the community as, as a whole went and decided to do. They finished the entire Shas. 
in just a few weeks' time, collectively. Because this is what Reb Chaim did. We're missing this in the world. You know, there's a lot of stories that came out, and then there's a lot of you know people that I've spoken to where I'm like, oh well, I went to a rabbi, and the gadol didn't give me this, but it didn't come true, and didn't, you know, like so. I want to I want to put a point on emunas chachamim, and this is something we spoke about. In, I don't remember how long ago, but, but pretty recent. That the Gemara in Ksuvis, uh, uh page 103b, goes and says that tzaddik geizer, Akadosh Baruch Hu When a tzaddik decrees something, Akadosh Baruch Hu fulfills that decree. And again, a Moed Kat on page 16b goes and says that the tzaddik has the power to annul a divine decree. Reb Chaim Kenevsky says in Sefer Urchas Yoisher, he goes and he says that a Gadol himself, if he makes a mistake, or the person misunderstands what the Gadol says, the blessing still takes effect as long as the person has strong, unwavering emunas chachamim. There's a level when you get a bracha from a Gadol that you have to have, and part of that power is your emunah in that bracha. The famous story that we mentioned before of Rav Shalom Chadran, that his son was sick. And he went over to the Chazanish, and the Chazanish says, go take to a certain river, and that river, um, you will... Um, you know, that's where you will uh, be, be uh, you know, be healed. So he takes his son to this river, and lo and behold, he was able to, um, he was able to uh, be healed. And his son goes, and he says, um, let's spread this, let's spread this information. Uh, and he goes, and he says, he says, you think we were, we were um, saved because of this river? He says, you know what, why you are healed? You are healed because in the merit of Emunas Chachamim. It was, that's, that's, why, that's why you are healed. And this really is the idea behind the, you know, Emunas Chachamim. There's a big power in that. And, you know, Rav Chaim goes and, and continues and says the main effectiveness, the main effect of this bracha, of a bracha batzadik, is that if one doesn't believe that it will work, it usually, it usually doesn't work. That's the level of the Muna So when you go and, you know, you start saying, oh, I wonder why the, you know, like I didn't get, you know, like my bracha, like instead of blaming it on the, instead of blaming it on the chassid, then maybe you should look into yourself. Maybe you should look into yourself. So, you know, there was once an American businessman that, you know, he he had a close relationship to a Rosh Kolo in uh, Bnei Brak. And, in Bnei Brak and, and he goes over to, he calls up one time this Rosh Kolo, and he says that um, he has a $500,000, uh, you know, lawsuit Against against him, he was a very successful businessman. So he goes over to the Rosh Can you go over to Reb Chaim and can you ask him for a uh, can you ask him for a bracha? And he goes and he goes over to the um, to Reb Chaim. Can I ask you this Rosh And he gives him the information. He's in a, a lawsuit and he explains to him. He says, you know, the um, he goes over to him and he says that this person was not. He didn't do anything wrong. And the problem is with the American system is that even though he he can't you know he can't prove himself that he didn't do anything wrong he really didn't didn't do anything wrong but 
he says because of the system he might be able to be held liable because that's the way the system he, it's very hard for him to prove it and he goes over and he gives the Reb Chaim goes and says, gives the bracha of bracha v'hatzlacha and the regular bracha that he gives and a few weeks later Rab, uh, you know, he gets another call. He says that they had a court date. They, they had a court date filled out, and that court date was the 29th of Adar. So he goes back to Rab Chaim, and he goes and he says that he goes and he says that oh, the Gemara Tainus goes and page 29b goes and says I mentioned that a Jew should be judged in the month of Adar because then it's a good mazel for the um, for the Jew. So he goes, and Reb Chaim goes and gives him another bracha that it should be, you know, it should be well. A, a short while before, uh, after the, the the court date was set, as is customary, the the Jewish businessman goes and he he goes and he gives him um, he goes and the, he gets a he gets a, a notice that says that they're willing to settle for two hundred thousand dollars. So this businessman is thinking. And he says, you know, for $200,000, I'm not willing to settle. That's a lot. But $100,000, I'm willing to settle. I'm willing to make this all go away for $100,000. So he goes, and he's, before he's about to send his, um, his response to, um, to Reb Chaim, he goes over, uh, I'm sorry, before he, before he goes and sends his response to his lawyer, he goes over to Reb Chaim, and he says he wants to get a bracha from Reb Chaim. Reb Chaim hears it, he says, what? You want to pay two? He says, absolutely not. He says, go to court. Go to court. Don't worry about it. And at this point, the businessman said, you know, was thinking, he's like, you know, at one point, he just wanted to make it all go away and $100,000 he was willing to do. But, you know, Reb Chaim said something, so he says, you know what, I'm going to listen to Reb Chaim. And he declines, you know, the, the settlement offer of $200,000. And he says, let's go to court. It was uh, a few days before the court date, and then all of a sudden, there was another, um, there was another uh, a message that came in from the other lawyer and said that they're willing to settle the case for just $18,000. The businessman was so happy, he wrote a check right then and there for $18,000 and closed the case. And the businessman told his lawyer, he told, you know, he called the Rush Khalil, he says, the law, the law fees, the court fees in itself would have cost me more than $18,000. So I just closed the whole thing off for $18,000. So he says, he goes over to the Rush Khalil, he says, I want you to please go to Reb Chaim Kanievsky and just say thank you and, and this is how it ended. So the Rush Khalil goes back to Reb Chaim Kanievsky and he says, by the way, this is how it ended. And Reb Chaim Kanevsky listens to it, smiles, and he says he deserves to have been saved. So the Rosh Kala says, what do you mean he deserves? You know, like, with all due respect, you know, the Rav never met this man before. You're not familiar, all, besides all the information from the story. So, the, you know, Reb Chaim goes and he says, the fact that he followed instructions, the fa- fact that he followed instructions that he's given for this alone, he is, that's, he's worthy of the salvation. Meaning that the fact that he listened to Emunah Sachamim, that itself warrants the salvation. How many times do you go, and you ask a bracha, and you wonder, oh, the rabbi didn't, that, I didn't, didn't get answered. Well, hold on a second. Before you blame the rabbi, look at yourself. Maybe that's the reason. Even though, you know, you look at someone, Rabbi Chaim, no one's asking. No one's asking, you know, like, okay, is the brachas came true? Because, you know, like, 10 out of 10 times, you know, you could take it to the bank, whatever Rabbi Chaim says. There was, um, I know it's getting a little bit late, but uh, do I, I have to continue. I can't. Should I stop it and do two classes on this? I don't know. Should we do it? It's getting so late. Oh, yeah, I have so much more to speak about. You know what? I'm going to I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to split it into two classes. And I have to tell you why. 
I'll tell you why my thought, my, my, my thought process is that way is because I could go on here for another at least 30, 35 minutes and, you know, to go, <laughs> I, you know, I hear you know me. I want to continue. I want to continue, but I'll tell you what the problem is. First of all, I'll tell you two things. Number one, I realized, you know, when I rush to, through things because it gets late, it doesn't come out the way that it needs to. I feel like it, 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 it in myself, it doesn't come out the way that it needs to. And I need, I need a lot more time in this to get the, there's so much to speak about Reb Chaim. And usually I would have just, you know, closed this. But because it's Reb Chaim Kanevsky and I, I personally feel so connected. I like, I personally feel so connected. I want to do it justice. And not only that, that I'm probably going to go and do more research. I see so many people want me to continue. I'm sorry. I want to, you know, like, I don't know what to do. I have to say that I have people, you know, I have people coming to my house also in 20 minutes to, uh, you know, so like, I want to continue, but I know if I start, I'm not going to be able to finish. So like, I, you know, like I can't, I'm like in between. What I used to do is I used to just rush through it. I used to take my fast talking and put it on my fast talking on double speed. So nobody can understand what I'm saying. And, uh, you know, unless you're on high on caffeine or on cocaine or something like that, then you can maybe understand me. And, and you know, so just to get through it. But one thing I realized is that, you know, it has to be done properly and, I'm actually surprised I only got to here. I thought, you know, when I was preparing this, I was like, okay, I'll probably get into like here. But like, I didn't do it. But I need to. I need to. So, Bezat um, Hashem, we're going to have to do it. I wanted to do stuff on Pesach, but I'm sorry. I'm going to have to continue on Rebbe Chaim Kanevsky next week. I just have to. But before we close off and we open up for questions, and, you know, we have to realize that, you know, I went on to uh, Torah anytime throughout the week. And... I was, there's so much on Reb Chaim Kanevsky. There's so much information out there. There's so much people just speaking about, you know, him. And we're all listening to it. We're all learning from it. We have to take one point that I would love for you to go and take out from this. And that is, and, and if you take out this, then it, it was worth it. This was really my main focus. And that is that when we hear all these amazing stories and these amazing things that happen in his life, we have to realize, how is that going to change my life? It's not enough to hear a story and be like, wow, that was nice. Okay, cool. You know, like, that's crazy. No. We have to take everything and, and, and put it into our own, own lives. We have to change our own lives. And really, this is a lot that I was going to speak about a little bit later. But this is something that we really have to think about. We really have to think about. We lost a gadol. We lost someone so huge. So huge. So let us change our lives even a little bit. Please, I'm begging every single one of us, just, just do something a little bit. Maybe dive in a little bit with extra kamana. Maybe learn a little bit with extra kamana. Maybe add something. Just do something small. Do something small and do it. Leila Nishmas the Gadol Adar. Do it. Leila Nishmas or Chaim Kanevsky. Do it. You know, there's so much. There's so much that we could tap into. There's so much that we need to tap into. You know, there's, there's really so much that, 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 that it is required of us. And it's such, you know, like, listen to everybody that speaks to Rabbi, about Rabbi Chaim. There's su- it's such a powerful thing. I really wanted to go and speak about the, the continuing my series on the Ten Makos. But, you know, I, I feel like for next week, I think this is, this is more important. I'm going to speak about it more. And I really want to speak more about, because next week, more about his relationships. More in the, like the chesed aspect of his relationship with his wife about his relationship with his father, like different things of, of like, not just the learning aspect of Reb Chaim, but more than that, there's, there's a lot more that comes into it. 
So Bezat Hashem will speak about that next week. <clears throat> may this neshama be in a, you know, maybe, maybe this shear, I can't even think straight, be an aliyah to his neshama, not that he needs it, that by all means, but, you know, the Torah, there's so many levels that you could always, you could always gain more. With that, actually before we do that, we'll also ask that he should be a tremendous melez, just, just like he was a tremendous help to us over here in this world, may he also be a tremendous help for us also in the next world. Um, okay, let's open up for some questions, and then we'll we'll end it off. I, I can't believe that it's so late. It's, it's yeah. where does the time go? Okay, now, first question. Oh, only question. One question. What is the proper way to mourn, and what can we take upon ourselves in the rub's merit? Okay, so what is the proper way to to mourn? It's very very important. I don't know whoever was able to listen to the um, to Levaya. Um, you know, like I, you know, I thought it was you know. Like it's something that I, I felt like I couldn't go without. Like I, I, you know, I put my alarm to wake up early for the Levaya, but I woke up, I woke up like an hour earlier, and I just like couldn't fall back asleep. Like I just couldn't. I was up like at five or something on Sunday, like just like waiting for it, you know, for the for the Levaya. Um, and the the proper way to mourn is first of all listen to the Levaya if you're able to. There's there's a English translation that Torah anytime did on it, um, a voiceover. Uh, Rabbi Shai Tahan and Rabbi uh, Rabbi, Mizra- Rabbi Yaakov Mizrahi, I believe, went and they did a, uh, a you know a, a sort of a voiceover in English that you could actually listen to it and you actually you know get a little bit of a tap into it into uh, you know the the Levi aspect, but mourn really like shed some tears over our guttle. We lost the guttle. Shed some tears. That you know, but more than that, I would say, well, not more than that, but equal to that, is, you know, take upon yourself something. And take upon yourself something that you're able to do. You know, maybe you're not going to be able to take it for the full, you know, your full life, but maybe see if you're able to do it until the Shloshim, for 30 days. See if you're able to take it until, uh, at least until Erev Pesach, for a few weeks. Try to take upon yourself something. Maybe if you, you know, as a woman, maybe you don't dive in Mincha. What, I don't know, whatever it is. Tzniyas, you know, maybe learning a little bit more, learning Hilchas Lashonara, Tehillin. Like, just like something that you're able to do, something small that you're able to focus on. Maybe it's just like focusing and concentrating a little bit more on davening. Maybe, you know, have a, a little bit of that, that focus, that guddle focus on davening. Like, just for the first bracha, or something like that. Or maybe learn for another five minutes. Something that you're able to handle, just try to take upon something. Which guddle could we go to now when we feel like we need that? So, Baruch Hashem, you know, we have tzaddikim in our generation. Who is on the level of Chaim Kanievsky? You know, I don't know. You know, we have Baruch Hashem, Gedalim, we have Rabbi Gershon Edelstein, we have, you know, we have, we have, you know, righteous people, even Rabbi Chaim's, uh, Rabbi Chaim Gedefsky's brother-in-law, we have Baruch Hashem, a lot of, uh, um, you know, tzaddikim in the generation. Who is on the level of Rabbi Chaim? I don't know. And to say that I, there is somebody, I don't think there is, to be honest, but who am I to say? But there's a lot of Gedalim, and they mostly reside in Eretz Yisrael. Okay. When you need a deeper insight or broad, that's a great question. Who do we need to go to? Which Gadol? You know, I remember when Rav Steinman was Nifter. What was that? Maybe 2000. Rav Steinman in 2017, maybe. I remember, I remember when Rav Yosef was Nifter. And then I was like, okay. So I remember thinking, okay, we could go to Rav Steinman. We could go to Rav Chaim. You know, we could, and, I remember, and then when Rav Steinman was Nifter, I'm like, okay, we could go to you know, Rav Chaim Knevsky. Now that Rav Chaim Knevsky is you know, Nifter, like, I am a nobody, so I'm, maybe there's somebody that exists out there, but I, I wish, if somebody knows, then please share with me. But who exists like that? I don't know that, I don't know how to say this in a nice way, but I don't know if we have. I don't know that we, we have somebody on this level. 
Next question. Apart from growing in our learning, what are the tangible things that we could take upon ourselves to reach somewhat of the levels of Rav Chaim, just like he reaches full potential? How can we reach ours? Sorry, okay, fine. So, it's very difficult to say how can you reach your... Rav Chaim is somebody that never wasted a second. This is somebody that we could only dream to achieve, but we could try to achieve. So, what... There's different aspects that you could learn from Rabchaim Kanevsky. So the ones that we spoke about today was really focused more on the learning aspect than, well, actually more on miracles that we spoke about. But but really there's there's things that to tap into on the um, from what we spoke about today. I would probably say not wasting time. That's what I'll probably focus on. And again, maybe we can't like you know we waste our day, but we could make sure we don't waste. 30 minutes, like, or 20 minutes, or 5 minutes, meaning that we do something, we do something fully. But how do we reach our potential? Um, that, that is a lifelong quest. That is not something that I could answer in a, in a simple, um, you know, one-liner, but it's something that we have to consistently and constantly strive for and to achieve greatness in our lives, whether it's between us and HaKadosh Baruch Hu, our Vodas Hashem, whether it's between us and our relationships, between us and our spouses, our children, our friends, our families, our parents, our neighbors, our bosses, our partners, our employees, our employers. There's so many different aspects that we have to achieve, you know, like greatness in. And in all areas, we need to achieve, we need to work on. I really could expand a lot about that, but, but, you know, we can make a whole, you know, 20 minutes on that, but well, let's move on to the next question. Um, should we say Shekhyanu on new clothing that we brought secondhand from the thrift store? That's a good question, because technically it's new to you. Uh, it's possible, depending on the type of clothing, because some clothings you do say Shekhyanu, and some clothings you don't say Shekhyanu for. Are there any G'daylem that see women for brachos? I believe there are in Eretz Yisrael. I mean, I know of one, I don't know if he wants to be publicized, but if you reach me off, offline, I could tell you who it was, that I went with my wife, and he gave us both a bracha. Okay. Um, okay, next. I heard something about him being against the Whigs. Um, I don't know in what particular fashion of it, but... Um, Possibly, but wigs is a very sensitive topic, topic, and there's a lot to discuss in it. So I'm going to sort of skip over that uh, that question because it really depends on what you're saying. And I, I I'm trying to remember what there was. There was a certain area, but this was like you know a while back when, when there was a certain situation with wigs and Avodazara back back then. Okay, next. I know that we're not allowed to dive into a person by their caper. Are we allowed to ask a tzaddik to ask Hashem for us, or should we focus more on asking Hashem in their merit? So we're asking Hashem in their merit. To add, well, so, so the question is, we can't ask, we can't, we don't dive into that topic. But can we dive into uh, a tzaddik in, you know, can we dive into the in the merit of the tzaddik? That's for sure. But also, when you do something in merit of a tzaddik, that also the tzaddik sort of, I can't say owes you, but sort of wants to do something for you as well, because you did something for for the tzaddik. So there is an aspect of that, and Bezat Hashem, God willing, I want to speak about, touch about this next week as well. Today was the yard side of the Noam and Wow, that's amazing. I'm embarrassed to say that I didn't know that. Why am I even more embarrassed? Because my wife, my wife is a direct descendant from, from the Noah So, uh, you know, thank you for bringing that up. That's embarrassing that I didn't know that. Okay, next. What about 36 hidden tzaddikim there? Are, are they necessary? Should they, should live in Israel according to the Torah? Okay, 36 hidden tzaddikim. 
is a very big topic in itself. We had some questions previously. Do they know who they are? Do they not know who they are? So there are tzaddikim that exist. And, and by the way, there's plenty of tzaddikim that exist today. Don't get me wrong. There's plenty of tzaddikim that exist today. Um, but t- the, there's a level. There's a level that Rabbi Chaim Kanievsky had that we don't have. Like, you know, like the miracles... The miracles the, 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 that happened through him. The things that he said that, you know, like, and Bazaar Hashem, now I have another week. I'm going to try to, to do a little bit more research and learn a little bit more about more stories. There's so much miracles that come out that nowadays who exists like that? I, I don't know. I, and if you know somebody, I beg of you, please share with me because I want to know who else <laughs> that I could go to. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, like, I, I don't know if we have someone like Rabbi Noam, uh, you know, uh, Rav Chaim Kanevsky got caught me off. So, so there was a question here: Who was the Noam Lemelch? Noam Lemelch was um, was Rav Lemelch Milizinsk. Uh, that he had a, his brother of Zusha, big big tzaddikim in uh, you know back in Poland, I believe in Poland, if I'm not mistaken. That they did a lot for Klal Yisrael, lived in poverty, went from place to place. There's so many stories. In fact, I still remember that you know as a, as a child, my father would read to us, me and my brother. Um, stories of Rav Noach Lamelech and, and, and Rav Zisha, uh, who are brothers of their story before bedtime. That was our bedtime story. Um, these were the stories that we read. My father had a certain sefer. I have to actually ask him about it. And he's probably going to listen to it, so he'd probably reach out to me. Like there was a certain sefer that he had of stories of Rav Noach Lamelech and Rav, Rav, Rav Zisha. But that was our that was our bedtime stories. But they did tremendous amount of 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 like like. Sadiqim, like in this time that they, they went through so much suffering, like unbelievable. But he was called, why is he called the Noam Alimalach? Because he wrote a sefer called the Noam Alimalach, a very, very popular sefer on the Torah um, called the Noam Alimalach. And there was a lot of schools associated with that, but it basically was a big tzaddik. Um, but he was known as the Noam Alimalach, otherwise known as Rabbi Alimalach Melizhinsk. Okay. Oh, we have one last question. Does the grave of Sadiqim have merit, have power? Yes, there is, there is power, there is merit in the, the going to pray by the tzaddikim's graves. And Bezalt Hashem will, will touch upon this Bezalt Hashem next week that you go to pray by a tzaddik's graves and you go dive into Akadosh Baruch Hu. In the merit of the tzaddik, please Akadosh Baruch Hu, please answer my, my tefillos. Okay. All right. Hi. Thank you all for joining. Oh, one last question. What about the concept? Con- concept about a tough, tzaddik suffering to pay for our sins. Okay, that's a sensitive tzaddik suffering for for our sins. Um, there is, uh, you know, there is a concept that you know that a, that a Baruch Hu takes away a tzaddik from this world to atone from sins that from let's say a big punishment that's happening in this world. So um, yeah, you brought it, you you ask a question similar to Christianity. So yes and no. So. It, the way that, you know, from the Torah perspective, so let's back up. From the Christian perspective, um, they, they claim that JC died for their sins. So if you believe in JC, he died for your sins, you don't have to deal with it. That's completely against the Torah. Meaning that if a tzaddik dies, it's, it, what does it mean it has a kapara on the, on the, on the generation? Meaning that there was a very big zera, bad zera that was supposed to happen, and the tzaddik was nifter, and that takes away the zera. But that doesn't mean that all the averos, all the sins of Klal Yisrael, whoever, each and every single one of us, that just goes away. We still have to do tshuva, and that's a requirement. From the Christian perspective, there's no aspect of tshuva, repentance. You believe in the in you know in JC, and that you know he died for your sins, and that's it. From the Jewish perspective. 
even if a tzaddik dies and it is mechaper alav, you know, a klali shal, but there is an aspect that you still have to do tshuva, otherwise you're going to have to pay for all those averas. There's no such thing as a tzaddik could take you away from the, you know, all the averas that you did, you just, you know, the tzaddik just, you know, took care of it. You're responsible from everything. So there is a big difference in it. I know I answered it very briefly, but, you know, I believe that it is a sufficient answer. Amen and the bracha. Which is, may all the tzaddikim be a bracha and Yeshua for the entire Klal Yisrael. Amen to that. I want to wish you all a beautiful, beautiful Shabbos and a beautiful week. And may we be able to be zeicha to greet Mashiach and to greet all our tzaddikim of the previous generation to, uh, you know, really, I'll say this in a different uh, way, to, that, that may we all merit to connect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu just a minute percentage of the way that these G'daylim were able to merit that connection. Yashikayach, thank you all for joining, and until next week. You've just experienced another Torah class, brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.